Welcome back to Start Kyle Orton. This is like episode 10, Kyle. Welcome I, to the 10s. I know, we are, we're rolling along. And and um, for folks who, we're not, we're not late this week, uh, if it feels like we're late, no. uh, it's just that we went early last week, so I'm sorry you have had to wait 9 or 10 days for us, but you know, we're still here, don't you worry. Um... And yeah, so tonight we are, we talked about our reaction to the Bears draft. Uh, we're going to kind of wrap up our draft coverage tonight, finally, I think, by, by talking a little bit about what other teams in the did in the draft, especially with a focus um, on what our division rivals did in the draft, because they all had very interesting drafts in, 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 in different ways. Um, maybe we have just a, some couple matters of Bears housekeeping uh, right. to begin with. Um the schedule drops today. Do we have any response to that, or do we want to like maybe do we want to do we want to save that for later and go through and uh, and and do our our forecasting later on? Do we want to do that? I mean, I think we could do a deep dive later. We might as well state the obvious. Uh, the very first game is at home against Green Bay, and pretty much depending on what happens in that game, yeah, uh, is uh, I may. I may either just stunt on every Green Bay Packers fan near me, or yeah. you may never see me again. Yeah, I mean, I had a I had a tweet that is still getting retweeted right now. It, it went as viral as one of my tweets ever goes, I guess, where I said, basically, the ground rules for that game are as follows. If the Bears lose, well, I mean, weird shit happens week one every year. Long season, one game doesn't matter. If the Bears win... Then weep, weep, Green Bay fans, for the time of reckoning is at hand. Doom is upon you. You will suffer and hear nothing but torture and death and destruction, and you will feel our wrath. For 35 years we have taken this shit, and now it's time for payback. I, I'm but, prepared so, to do that. I'm prepared. Yeah, other than that, I mean, so not to put too much weight yeah. on that, but yeah, let's not, uh... Yeah, no, we'll, look, we'll hey, save that for later. Give me, give me a quick tease here, because you know I've been hyping up our schedule for, for months now. Now that you can see all the teams in one tweet, Kyle, do you agree with me? This is a weak-ass schedule for the Bears. I mean, it's, the, the, it is a weak-ass schedule. It, it's, it's, I, you have accused me of hedging on how good, and we'll get into official predictions later. <laughs> but you've accused me of hedging, but it really, there is just so much that I need to see before, because, I mean... Depending on how this offense comes together around Justin Fields, and depending on if Justin Fields makes that leap that we both feel strongly he can make with a good situation, mm-hmm. this schedule is weak. And I mean, I think the true talent level of this roster in the aggregate is like a seven win team, but that quarterback could either make them a five win team or an 11 win team. The, the schedule is conducive to that for sure. There are lots of toss ups. And there are ways he can make sure that those toss-ups tilt our way. So, I mean, we'll get into that later in more detail. But, yeah, it is it's it is not the most imposing schedule in the world. That's for sure. There is not a lot of games that you point at Kansas City, in Kansas yep. City. There's other than that, there are not too many games you point to and you're like, oh, we're getting fucked there. Um, 
And I mean, I'm sure Lions fans will tell us that we need to be afraid of them right now. And I totally agree you guys are the the betting favorite of the division. We'll talk about that here in a little bit when we talk about their draft. If, if you had to ask me who's going to win the NFC North this year, right now I'm saying the Lions. But at the same time, do you ever look at them and go, boy, fuck, could, is there any way we could beat the Lions? Yeah. I'm just not, I'm not, yeah, there's not that level of fear. So, I mean, there are good teams on the schedule, but none of them that I'm like, oh. You know, last year you looked at that schedule and you were like, the Eagles, fuck. The Bills, fuck. The yeah. 49ers, uh, fuck. And they ended up winning that one. But and still, we won that game somehow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, the we Patriots. had four playoff teams, 17 games, four playoff yeah. teams, and two of those are against the Vikings, who I think <clears> are going to fall apart. And they can also... They can also really help their cause by beating the Panthers head to head this year. So improve right. that draft pick themselves. That might be their. That might honestly be their biggest game of the year if you think about it. So that's there's a I lot at stake not. there. <laughs> I hope not, but yeah, we'll see. Uh, but yeah, no. The other Bears housekeeping. Um, this is going to be a weekly recurring thing for us. Uh, Travis wants to to make excuses for Gerben or for Jervin Dexter. Um, Jervin. Jervin, yeah. So go ahead, Travis. What was it Jervin said? Get your Jervin out. We're swerving with Jervin again. You're burying the lead here. All right, rookie minicamp happened. And, of course, a ton of very useful news came out. Oh, yeah, you you got to love rookie minicamp. We know exactly what's going to happen with these rookies now, Kyle, don't we? Just rookie minicamp gave it all away. Uh (laughs) But there was interesting stuff that came out. I mean, first of yeah. all, we should pat ourselves on the back. Uh, the Bears coaching staff seems to think Darnell Wright has nothing to learn but maybe a few things with his hands, and they just want him to read the playbook. So that's yeah, it, nice. It, pat yourself it on the back. It sounds like he also, I mean, he is a big boy, and I, it sounds like he needs to maybe get up to some NFL conditioning a little bit. But that's, we got a long way till September for him to get there. Training camp's coming, big fella. So you'll get there. Um we're in May, yeah. Sounds like Tyreek Stevenson <laughs> was flashing early, so that's good. Um, yeah, but yeah you, there like, was... uh, comments from the coaching staff kind of solidifies him as the outside guy. Seems like they want to oh, I mean, Tyler I think... inside, Tyreek's outside. Yeah. Well, and I think that, I mean, it's it's kind of a lot like we talked about the wide, like with the wide receiver room, where DJ Moore is a true number one wide receiver, but what he also does is he allows... Mooney and Claypool to be better because they won't get extra attention and they'll play the roles that actually fit them. Um, in this corner room, I mean, there's, there's, we don't have a DJ Moore type dude yet, but getting a guy like Tyreek, if he, if he can be competent on the outside, that lets you leave Kyler in the nickel, not bounce him back and forth, let him focus on the role. And I mean, Eberflus talked about this nickel defense or nickel corner in this defense is tough. It is maybe the most mentally and in some ways physically demanding position on in this defense other than, like, the three technique. I mean, it's that important. Um, that guy's got to be able to play the run. He's often their best blitzer. He um, has to be able to read the play quickly. It, it's a tough role to learn. They ask a lot. So letting Kyler focus on that, I think, will be very good for him. But anyways, last but not least on the rookie minicamp front, Jervin Dexter said some stuff that you want to you want to address this issue yeah. skip you know i am sensitive <laughs> to jervin dexter's slow get off <laughs> but that's right 
But, I mean, we, we kind of heard about it at the draft. Polls wanted to immediately come out and talk about basically why Jervin looked the way he did at Florida. And Jervin just got in front of a mic and told us exactly how he played. Um, and essentially, it, it's, it's actually worse than I thought. I thought at Florida the deal was they were telling him, stand still, mirror the guy in front of you to stop the run. And because of that, he was slow off the block in the pass game. From what Jervin was saying... It, it's the whole hog. They wanted him to never do anything but mirror. They never wanted him to get off to a head start. They wanted him to stand up, look at his man, mirror his guy, and plug holes, and that was it. So, I mean, the guy never got a chance to really use any explosion off the block. I don't know if he has it, but looking at his film, that was one thing that I brought up all those weeks ago, was this dude just stands up and looks at the backfield. What the fuck is wrong I mean- with him? I, I haven't seen a guy stay that stationary at the line since, like, a French rifleman on the Western Front. Achi, machi, ah, ah, ah. Ah, ah. The funny thing, now, look, Pickens didn't say anything about his role. That guy just seems happy to be here. He's just I mean, happy to be nominated. Pickens, uh, but so I think Pickens, the same thing. I, I, I would like to think of that with Pickens. I think Pickens is... is uh, they're kind of mirror opposites, or mirror opposites, yeah, they're opposites of each other in that Jervin is this dude that um, had basically no get-off, but he often did win reps later in the down. He Like, he overcame with strength and things like that. Whereas Pickens is very much a dude with a first step, and and, and I think that's why he's he was good as a pass rusher, but did not hold the point of attack very well against the run. Pickens either won at the snap or didn't win at all. I mean, he either wins immediately or he loses. So... Uh, I think the funniest possible explanation is that the Bears coaching staff actually did want both of these guys for the same position, and the, and they just couldn't decide which was like better, a, a guy with no get-off but, but size and strength, or a guy with a good get-off who gets pushed back a lot. And they were like, well, let's just draft both and see which one figures it out. So that would be the funniest possible explanation, I think. I, I very much think that they're trying to go one for two here. I think they're like, if we draft both, yeah. one of them will work. I mean, yeah, I think they're one, thinking. Right? Yeah, I think they're thinking like we will find either our one technique or our three technique from these two guys, and then we'll draft yeah. whichever one we don't have next year. So it could definitely be possible. Um, yeah, but yeah so I, I think just that's... thought it was an interesting story, and I think it's interesting because uh, yeah, it's... it's just becoming a weekly tradition to shit on the University of Florida. <laughs> here. Yeah, and I wanted to do it again. It. They really suck. Yeah, so, anyway, so now we're, we have talked about Dexter and all that. We're going to transition back to the NFL draft. We're going to look around a little bit, just a, a little bit around the league in general. I, I just have a couple of teams I did want to comment on. Um, and you might, okay. most of these are just following up on the stuff that if you guys listen to us during the draft were the thoughts we had. I did actually want to revisit one thing, which is that the more I think about it, as initially defensive as a, of it as I was at the time, the Texans really did give up a whole fucking lot. They Williams. sure did. Yeah. 33, I mean, 12, 33, and a future for... That is a lot. That is a whole fucking hell of a lot, man. And and, and the, I had this thought, so I was like... Okay, I, I am... We talked about this a lot. We are not Lucas Van Ness fans. But, theoretically, the Texans could have taken Stroud at two... Stayed still, taking Lucas Van Ness at 12 as their edge rusher prospect, yep. and they would still have retained pick 33 and two firsts next year. 
And I have to say, as much as I didn't really care for Lucas Van Ness, I and as much as I like Will Anderson, the more I've thought about it, the more I've looked at that price tag. I think I would feel better as a Texans fan if they'd done that. But on the other hand, I mean, all it takes is Will Anderson to actually live up to his potential. Because if they have actually... I mean, if they truly have drafted their franchise quarterback and the next Khalil Mack in the same draft, the cost is never going to fucking matter. You will take that draft every time. But if Will Anderson is... It's a good spot for Will Anderson. I will say If Will Anderson is anything but that, it's... it's, That's... That price tag is going to fall on for... I mean, even just like... Well, think of the last time the Houston Texans drafted an edge rusher that high. Uh, I mean, this is the team that's drafted an edge rusher number one overall twice in Jadavian Clowney and Mario Williams. And both of those guys were very good, but not great players. They never were quite who they were expected to be, even though they were solid, competent, even Pro Bowl at times players. And that just goes to show, I mean, the kind of player you need to be as an edge rusher taken that high, taken that high after a trade of that magnitude, it's yeah. not going to be enough for Will Anderson to just be a solid 7-8 sack dude. If he is not peak Khalil Mack, and, and for longer than Khalil Mack was peak Khalil Mack, that price is going to be st- steep forever. And I don't know that he's ever going to live up to it. So I initially was like, oh, no, that's fine. You got to do it. I, I, I can't complain about that. But given enough time, I have remembered that it is my nature to complain. And if I if I could, I would complain about that. Yeah. So I think <laughs> I do think it was rich. I will give it to Travis on draft night. He was there already. That's rich. I don't know that I could have made that trade myself. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about Lucas Van Ness, but let's think about guys who are available there who we would have liked at 12, like Kalijah Kansas. Nolan Smith. Going at 19. Nolan Smith, who fell all Nolan the way to, Smith what, 30th? Yeah. Uh, 30th. So, Which brings so, up my yeah, next point that I want. Guys who we really liked, and I, like, I would have taken either of those guys, as I said before the draft, over Will Anderson. So, <laughs> Yeah, it's a lot. Um, I still think you're kind of crazy for that. I don't. I love Nolan Smith. I still don't love him more. Yeah, than Will and Anderson. and like I said, this is a really good spot for Will Anderson, so he's going to show out. Yeah, I mean, Demi- I oh, yeah, Demi- if, yeah. Uh, so you did bring up Nolan Smith going thirtieth. This is just a quick point, but again, Howie Roseman is the best at this. God, you got to quit handing that guy loaded guns to let him shoot you with. I don't. I don't understand why they keep doing. We have reached the point Speaking where. Of- the guns, Jalen Carter on TikTok showing blood signs to everybody. Uh, nice job, I, Jalen. <laughs> I, I won't pretend to know to have any understanding of what that might mean. I, I if that's what yes, that actually uh, was, but yeah. Did you did you miss that uh, Jalen Carter heard, going out there and doing the work for us? I I heard about it. Well, I know the more important thing is: Did you see that he was served with a lawsuit for uh, for wrongful death for forty million dollars? Yep. So I will say I I do understand not wanting to draft a guy at number nine, uh, which again with the, we talk about the Bears, they the Bears could not afford to get nothing from this pick. And when you got a guy being sued for forty million dollars for wrongful death before he's even taken a snap, it's not it's not the best it's not the best start. It's not ideal. A little concerned about that. It's not what you want. So, yeah. I mean, so, again, but Howie, even 
But again, I we both feel very confident in Nolan Smith. And if they get nothing from Jalen Carter, we think Nolan Smith will perform like a top 10 pick and no one will even notice. So, yeah, the Eagles played it very well. Uh, the other, the, the uh, two last things I want to talk about before we transition to the NFC North. Um, one, and they kind of tie together. One, so that when the Steelers made that trade with the Patriots to move up from 17 to 14. Sure. And all they got for it was a fourth round pick. We both were like, damn, that is light for three spots in the top 15. That is super light. And then Brad Spielberger uh, from Pro Football Focus, he's their cap guy, literally has written the book on draft trades. Um, Brad Spielberger said that this was literally the second cheapest trade up in the top 15 that he could find going back to like 2010 I think it was so I mean Bill Belichick basically gave that pick away um, for pennies on the dollar and no one could figure out why uh, and now this comes from Jason Lockhanfora who is not always the most reliable person in the world but it basically boils down to Bill Belichick's lifelong feud with the New York Jets this man let the Pittsburgh Steelers jump to 14 for basically nothing precisely because he just knew that the Jets wanted Broderick Jones and he knew that that's who the Steelers were going to take and he did it literally just to spite the Jets. Which just, you could argue whether that's a good decision or not. Um, I think Bill Belichick's made a lot of questionable roster decisions over the last decade um, that the lack of Tom Brady has really exposed. But I think we can agree that it's extremely hilarious and it's also really funny that the Jets moving from 13 to 15 in the Aaron Rodgers trade, which didn't feel that big at the time, ended up costing them the player they wanted. And then led them to take Will McDonald, Will McDonald. at 15, a player that I think we both kind of liked as like a second round pick. But at 15, yeah. wow, just a just a real, real staggering sequence of events there. Yeah, the Jets definitely had one of the worst drafts. Uh, definitely not the worst. Uh, everybody in the North, in my opinion, has a really good shot at the worst draft, but the Jets had one of the worst. The Steelers, who you mentioned, uh, I thought had a they fantastic took five draft. guys that I like. They had a great draft. Five the Steelers had a great draft, and I mean, we do not like to hand it to this man, but I thought Chris Ballard had a fantastic draft. I mean, talk I about setting your something nice to say about him. But talk about setting your balls on the table. He didn't trade up. He kept his picks, and he ended up turning him into Anthony Richardson, Josh Downs. He got Adetomiwa. I mean, that is that is a solid, solid draft. I can't I can't knock him for it. Um, I, yeah, no, the, I mean, we laughed at him. We laughed at him. For we did. Weeks. Like, what's he supposed to do now? Uh, yeah, and we that, thought. I guess just let Anthony Richardson fall into his lap is what he was supposed to yeah. do. Yeah, so I mean, talk it, it. It took guts, and he he stuck to his process, and I mean that's that's the process argument. If you are the process nerd, the process argument is if you don't if you don't panic and you do the right thing more often than not, you might get Anthony Richardson to fall into your lap. I don't know. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, you said uh, so. You said balls on the table draft. I I don't think there's a better way to explain this neither of us really pay attention to fifth round picks or later but the five dudes that they took anthony richardson julius brents josh downs blake freeland 
and Tomi, who ended up falling like two and a half rounds beyond where mm-hmm. we thought he was going to go. These are five dudes who are either going to really be something or are going oh, yeah. to be it's... completely useless. I mean, so Poles and Ballard are close. These are dudes who came up together in the same front office. They have history together in Kansas City. Poles and Ballards know each other very well. And you can see a lot of similarities in how they drafted this year and the boomer bust guys that they bet on, the athletic traits that they prioritized. Yep. Um, yeah, so definitely neither one of them is afraid to to bet big on their coaching staff, basically. Uh, but yeah, no, the last thing I wanted to say, non-NFC North related, but it was related to what the, the that Jets thing we just talked about is, we had talked about this before the draft, how so incredibly uncomfortable we were with the idea of not taking a tackle high because we we said that tackle run is going to happen and i was saying if even in, even in the situation where the bears got 17 and 32 like we talked about in that theoretical steelers trade if they didn't take a tackle at 17 and even at 17 the good ones might all be gone and you might be talking about taking Anton Harrison at 17 and if you don't take him at 17 at 32 I don't even know if he was going to be there and that's exactly what happened that the guys that everyone agreed were like the top four tackles PJJ Skaronsky Wright Broderick Jones all of them were gone even before pick 15 had occurred Mm -hmm. and then Harrison came around and he went what was it 27th to the to the Jaguars yep so even if they had waited till pick 32 to address tackle, there was not a guy that you feel super comfortable with. I mean, I like we Bergeron was the guy I think you would talk yourself into there at that point is the need. But, I mean, he, he's a questionable pass blocker, and they, they, it was, he, he went to the Cowboys, right? The Cowboys uh, drafted, didn't they? I do not know. Did it... Hold on, I'm looking it up. Matthew Bergeron. I thought he went to the Cowboys. We're going to look it up. The uh, Atlanta the Falcons. Falcons. Ooh. Yeah, the Falcons, are, and the Falcons are listing him as a guard already. Their plan is to play him at left yep. guard, and I mean, that's, that is going to be a fantastic offensive line. It really is. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's the, the drafting a guy who another team has already basically moved to guard to be your starting right tackle as a rookie, not something that would have felt very good. So, again, I mean, I know some people didn't like it. It's not, it was not the sexiest pick, but Darnell Wright at 9 or 10, where they ended up, was always going to be the smartest play. It really was both for value and for need. That was the dude. I just, uh, I just wonder uh, where are all the people who were like, "You have to take Jackson Smith and Jigba at nine because yeah. that's the value pick, the right? best player on the board." You have to take best player available. Best player on the board. Who where went? did Jackson Smith? He went twentieth. Yeah, yeah. Where did all four tackles go before? Or him? <laughs> so the guys that I most often got into arguments with people about as the picks that they said would be well, you best player available there you don't just reach for need best player available there was going to be people told me jackson smith and jigba and christian gonzalez too were two guys that and they ended up going 17 and 20 so obviously the nfl as a whole did not agree that those two were the best player available there so that did not happen yeah um see this is one thing we can trust ourselves about this in the future because we were talking to each other almost daily like i don't understand why the NFL, why all these mock drafts are saying these tackles are going to go after all of these guys when it seems like they're better prospects 
And then we yeah. get to the draft. What does the NFL do? They agree they're better prospects than the rest. So what of I what I think that was is a lot of evaluators agreed that these tackles were first round tackles, but I think they were like in an ideal world these tackles would go like 14, 15, 16, 17. Mm-hmm. But with when you consider the fact that, like we said, there was going to be nobody that anybody feels confident starting at tackle in the second round. And when you consider shit like Mike fucking McGlinchey getting sixty million dollars, sure, it was the same. It was what I was saying. Those guys are going to go higher than you expect, not lower. They were always going to go higher because the four guys that people did feel good about as starting caliber tackles, yes, people are going to lock that shit down immediately because you can't find it anywhere else in this in this draft. So yeah, that was why it was we were no, pick at ten was right. always or at nine or ten was always going to be a tackle for us. So, Kyle, you just hit on a very interesting point. Now, I wonder what a team might do. Like you said, the tackles, there were only four good ones, so they got pushed higher in the draft. Well, you would think that if a position like tight end and running back and inside linebacker had a bunch of talent in the draft, that you might take them later. <coughs> you might. Right? Yeah. So, good transition. So, yeah. So, the Lions... Yeah. And the thing about the Lions draft is, it, I actually, well, I mean, there's, well, I mean, so we're going to talk about the Lions, the Vikings, and the Packers here, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, The Lions draft, I think, is, it, it, it entirely depends on what you're looking at when you say best or worst. In terms of the actual talent and fit and abilities of the players taken, I think the Lions had the best draft of these three teams because I think every one of okay, these guys sure. is a is sure. a good player. Jameer Gibbs is going to be a very good change of pace receiving third down back. And yeah. Jack Campbell, <laughs> I think, is going to be a very good off-ball linebacker. And Sam Laporta, I think, is going to be a very solid starting tight end. I don't think he's necessarily going to be a star, but I I, I think he's going to be pretty good. Um, And I, I don't know that I can say that about some of the guys that we're going to talk about with the Vikings and the Packers. I don't feel confident that all their guys are going to be good. I do feel confident that all those first three Lions picks are going to be good football players. But as uh, Steven Ruiz wrote about this uh, for the ringer, and he, 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 he was like, they have taken A-plus players at B plus positions. It was just, it was a, it, it, where those guys, so it, even if you just, I think we talked about this too, like if, if they had traded on to 12 and at 12 they had taken Christian Gonzalez or yep. Nolan Smith and then at 18, even at 18 if they had reached there on either Jack Campbell or Jameer Gibbs, and then they had taken whichever one of those, maybe Jack Campbell's there at 33 then. If they take Gibbs at 18, maybe Jay. Then we start to say, oh, that's a pretty good draft. But man, they took each of those guys about 15 to 20 spots ahead of where you would really feel comfortable actually taking them. It is just, <clears throat> it is the kind of draft. So the, so the main thing about the Giants draft, or the Lions draft, is what it says about them and how they view their roster and how they view their team. And it's not what people expected. Yes. People so right up until the moment they made those picks, when I was saying, "Wow, the Giants are or the Giants." Why do I keep calling them the Giants? The Lions 
have made a lot of smart decisions since they took over, since Brad Holmes took over as GM, since they started this rebuild. Um, but there has just been this default assumption that the Lions basically took Goff in that deal as as a placeholder, as a like, yeah, whatever, it's just to make the money out. Um, this idea that Goff was always just there to be a guy until they got the guy. And in the meantime, they were going to build up the rest of their roster. Mm-hmm. And if they were still doing that, if that was actually the plan, they would have either probably found a way to move up a little bit, maybe move up to three, and take Anthony Richardson before the Colts took him. Or, sure. or they would have, I think, swung at some more premium positions, cornerback, edge rusher, etc., or defensive tackle, taking Jalen Carter even. Um, but they didn't do that. What this looked like, them specifically plugging the holes on their 2023 roster with guys that they that have maybe not the highest ceiling, but that people yep. expect to have high floors and to contribute immediately. And it feels like an all-in bet on Jared Goff. And if that was what all of this was building to, all these years of suffering for the Lions, trading away Stafford, getting those picks, and at this point, the rebuild is over. The Stafford picks are gone. They have no bonus picks left in all of this. They have used them all up. This is what they got for it. And it feels like it was all just to try to go in and try to win now with a quarterback that is a slightly lesser version of Stafford. They, they've they gone all in to, to try to... It feels like a team that you've you gone all in to go 10-7 and seven and lose in, in the division round. Like, it's just... Yeah. It... It felt like there was a plan, and then it was clear that there was not a plan. Or that the plan, I mean, there's a plan, but the plan was obviously to try to win a Super Bowl with Jared Goff. And the whole reason you got three first-round picks and all that for Matthew Stafford is because another team already fucking tried that and decided they couldn't do it. Yeah. Yeah, so I I don't think this is necessarily an all-in bet on Jared Goff, but I do think it's an all-in bet on the Detroit Lions. I think they're saying, our defense is ready, our whole offense is ready, everything is ready, we could win the Super Bowl uh, with this team. That's absolutely what this tells me. To spend the number 12 pick on Jameer Gibbs is absolutely insane. That dude would have been available where they picked Brian Branch. And if they switched those picks, we probably wouldn't be talking about it so weirdly, right? Because we would say, you took the safety in the draft, and then you took another running back at 45. The defense some Lions fans have thrown at me about them taking Gibbs at 12 is that they have heard that the Jets were going to take him at 15. To which I say, then let the fucking Jets take him. I mean, yeah, even so. Say say I believe you that Jameer Gibbs was going to go in the first round if you didn't take him. Say I I believed that. Mm -hmm. Do you feel Jameer Gibbs at 12 is that much more valuable than, say... Zach Charbonnet, where did he go? 50? Uh, he went to, who did he go to? The Seahawks? He went to the Seahawks, and he was in the That's second round. I think, it was pick, I think it was pick 50, pick 51. Yeah. So, you just, you turn around and take Charbonnet then. That's, you really think you're, 52. like, what? Yeah, what do, you, what do you think is the difference between Charbonnet and Gibbs in terms of total production <laughs> over the course of their careers? Do you think it's worth the difference in the value between pick 12 and pick 52 40 spots of value because i sure as shit don't 
So yeah, if your defensive, I mean, if your defense of that pick is well, someone else was going to take him in the first round, then fucking let them, fucking yes, let them. Nobody, and you take nobody is uh, nobody is laughing at you because you took a guy who wasn't going to be taken before the next round, right? We're laughing at you because you took this guy at all. We're laughing at you because you, you yeah. drafted a, a running back because you who thought the a first best round talent because you thought round. the best use of the twelfth overall pick was a running back. Uh, and, and a tiny running back at that. This guy is not even going to be. A, a, so basically, we talked about this, but like they they obviously they must have watched the Jaguars last year and saw Travis Etienne and thought that like he was the dude, like he was the reason. I don't know. He was the missing piece, and he was very helpful for the Jaguars' offense. But I don't even know if like the Jaguars had that pick all over if they'd take ETN where they took him in the first place. So that's, yeah. So again, it, the, I don't know how to properly grade the lions draft. I don't really do letter grades for draft anyways, but like, it's not that I think the lions are suddenly not the division favorites or whatever, because of this draft. I think they have made the 2023 lions a better team than they were before. It's the cost of doing that is insane to me. For what else well, yeah. they could have done. I mean, I mean let's put it this way. We spent uh, a better part of the first hour of that draft podcast talking about how concerned we were about what the Lions were about to do. <coughs> they had a chance. Like they you had said, a chance. maybe you take Christian Gonzalez. Maybe you take a, a devastating pass rusher to pair with Aiden. And you've got a defense that is going to run this division for years. That's what we were worried about. I mean, I think what they did is they, they filled one hole on that defense. The one spot they did not really need to fill the one that I'm not worried about at all. The one we just filled with one of the best inside linebackers in the league for $4 million per year. And they got Brian branch who is a safety, right? But he fell all the way to the 45th pick for a reason. Other than that, we've got a running back and a tight end. It's just not what they needed. And honestly, I'm gonna I'm gonna say, with all of the issues they have with betting, with the potential suspensions that are coming their way, maybe this team did get worse after this draft. Maybe because they went this route, they, they don't have backup. They could have taken a wide receiver. They could have taken yeah. Jackson Smith and Jigba or something. Yeah, I mean I it really I'm not, I should say, I, I am not, I, I, I still think the Lions are the favorite to win the division in 2023, but like you said, I could have come out of this draft, I mean, if they had taken, neither one of us was even that big on Tyree Wilson, as we talked about, but if they had taken yep. Tyree Wilson at <laughs> six, I'd still be like, God, I mean, I, I'm, I, I have concerns about Tyree Wilson, but if he hits on that defensive line next to Aiden Hutchinson, fuck! Yeah. And I'm not saying that about Jack Campbell, and I think he's going to be a good linebacker, but for the love of God, there are, what, three off-ball linebackers in all of football right now that are, like, truly foundational, game-changing pieces in the NFL? I mean, it, he has to be he has to be Bobby Wagner or, I mean, and not Bobby Wagner as he is yeah. today, but Bobby Wagner, who he was five years ago, or he has to be Fred Warner to justify that draft slot. That's That's too much to put on anybody. So, yeah, it's... Yeah. I mean, obviously, it was, I should say, I love Kevin <laughs> Jack. I love Sam Laporta. I think they're both fantastic players. They're good players! Yeah. They're just, they're just not 
the kind of terrifying thing that I thought the Lions were going to end up with. I thought the Lions were going to have the Eagles draft, and I was going to be crying in my Cheerios. And here I am like, oh, they've really cracked the door open for the Bears here. I thought we weren't going to have a shot. And yeah. now I'm like, you guys, you you added people you just didn't need. And it was yeah, not... I mean, I mean, golf is a problem, but I do think this also suggests that they think their defense is just ready right now. And I don't, yeah. I don't think they showed that last year. Yeah, yeah. They it was it, they had a chance to to step on the throat and they just they did not take it. Yep. Is what it felt like. So that's exactly um, what it is. Now, so the Lions, we have said this this was an all in bet on the twenty twenty three Lions. I'll tell you whose draft did not strike me as an all in bet on the twenty twenty three version of their roster, and that is the Green Bay Packers draft. And that draft is fascinating to me because again, um, so we are not huge Lucas Van Ness fans, but. The argument for taking him is that he is raw clay and he has all the tools and he is a Greek god. And if you're patient with him and you're willing to wait till year two or year three, he could be something. And that's the mm-hmm. that is the the that is the that is the optimistic argument for him from people who like him a lot more than us. Nobody I have seen hardly anybody who's like this guy year one gonna be a terror. Yep. Nobody has said that. So, and then they took two tight ends, both of them, Tucker Craft and, I mean, neither one of us was fans of Luke Musgrave, but, again, everyone who did talk, even Luke Musgrave's biggest fans are like, yeah, he can't run routes, he's not a route runner, he doesn't know how to block, he doesn't always know where to line up, but, God, that raw athleticism, if you can coach him into being a player. Um, So, every, they went big on talent, they did. But every player they took is a guy that even hit their staunchest supporters think is going to be ready in 2024 or 2025. None of these guys are guys that they... so, And that tells us this is a team that maybe doesn't feel very good about their chances in 2023. And that probably tells you it, maybe they don't feel very, very good about the guy they have under center in 2023. And I've always said this about Jordan Love. Um, when the Packers... When Brett Favre tried to unretire, when Brett Favre drew his line in the sand, the Packers, who had watched Aaron Rodgers every day, were like, fuck it, man, go be a New York Jet. We don't care. Uh, When Aaron Rodgers held them hostage, they bent over backwards and gave him $100 million and torqued their cap and were like, please, God, come back. Because otherwise we're starting Jordan Love and we're scared shitless. The only reason that they are now apparently willing to to play Jordan Love, whom they wouldn't even pick up the fifth-year option on, who took um, kind of a coward's deal. He wouldn't. I don't even feel like that deal he bet on himself at all. Um, is because they must think, like, this isn't a Super Bowl. Our window's closed. We're resetting. We're looking for long-term building blocks. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a fascinating draft. I really don't actually have that much to say about the players um, in question uh, because, again, these are guys that could be good. I don't know, but they're not going to be good this year. Two, three years down the road, I don't know. They're they're clearly betting big on potential there, and in which case, I, I can't really argue with the athletes they took. They, If you are going to try to be patient and develop a tight end, Luke Musgrave is probably the dude. Um, we're, we're both skeptical he'll ever be anything, but I agree. If you're going to take a great athlete tight end and think you can coach him up uh, and commit to a long-term project, he's he's one of those dudes. Um, but yeah, it's, I think it's more fascinating. But what I think it says about 
how they feel about the rest of their roster and how they feel about their quarterback than anything. Yeah, I mean, just plainly stated, this is a draft that screams to me that they want the number one pick in the draft next year. Uh, It's like, you know how I feel about Lucas Van Ness. I don't think he's going to amount to anything. I don't like Luke Musgrave either, so those two picks made me very happy. Yeah. Um, But then they took another tight end in the third round, and that really fucking confuses me still. uh, And the only thing I could think is they're just like, we can't take somebody who's going to make this team win a game this year. That's for damn sure. Take another tight end. They took Jaden Reed in the second round. Now, there's a wide receiver that I liked, but he's not a game changer. He's a so good I, piece. He doesn't I, change anything for your team. I kind of... So, I liked Jaden Reed, and I yeah. liked Tyler Scott, and I kind of thought Tyler Scott would go where Jaden Reed went, and and Jaden Reed would go about bad. where Tyler Scott went. Yep. Yeah. This was too um, for Jaden Reed, for sure. Yeah, it's, that's, yeah, um, that was a weird uh, and then one. You, yeah. uh, the only other pick they had before round five was a defensive end, Colby Wooden, and I think you've already said enough about defensive ends taken in the fourth round. It's just, yeah, it's, it's a throwaway pick, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, none of these guys helped them this year. I think some of them are just, just not going to help them at all. And yeah, all I could think was, they, they think they have a shot at Caleb Williams, and this is the year to do it. Just be as bad as you can. Get your next quarterback. I mean, I it, yeah, it seems like their front office is very much like, okay, they signed that deal with Jordan Love, the kind of hedges where it's like, all right, if he does turn out to be good, we did retain his rights for one more year, so we can make something out of that. But it does not seem like they are expecting that, and they are, they're basically, it seems like they're saying pretty much like, if we're going to be bad, we better be able to be really bad. So, yep. yeah, so we'll see. I mean, we definitely, I think the best case scenario for all involved is if Jordan Love is bad, uh, but we don't want him to be that bad. Like, I need you to yes. win like five to six games, man. You got to keep them far away from either of the top two slots in this draft. Because after that, I don't even know who quarterback three is in next year's draft. Right now, I think it's Texas Mullet Man, um, yeah. who I does I does nothing for me in the here and now. So, um, yeah. So that was a really interesting draft on Green Bay's part, no doubt. Um, and I definitely again, I a contender, it... a contender for the worst <clears throat> talent drafted. If the Vikings didn't exist, <laughs> so you want to talk to them? Yeah. So I mean, we'll go to the Vikings. It, it, okay, and I, I'm treading on dangerous ground here because, God, I pissed off Vikings Twitter very badly because I had a Ooh, flaming... Somebody's, somebody's sensitive. It's like Vikings fans can sense what's about to happen to their team and they don't want yeah, to admit it. It's, well, it's so funny because Vikings fans all year long got so mad when people pointed out that they were a fluke. By every single statistical metric that we have ever determined... For figuring out if a team is real or fake, they were fake, and everyone said this season is going to end with them getting just absolutely murgalized in the playoffs. Um, and they got so mad about it, and of course that's exactly what happened. And it's not even like they have the the decency to be like, well, at least we went out to the Eagles or the 49ers, you got curb stomped by the Giants. So you, Daniel Jones just Daniel all up in your shit. dropped a ball on your ass. Yeah. So, 
Anyways, I pissed off Vikings Twitter because I acknowledged that Jordan Addison is small, skinny, but not that fast. And historically, uh, everyone in his cohort, people with his similar metrics to him and 40 times to him, this was the list we talked about on our wide receiver draft episode. But yeah, there, yeah. They, th- that list is, it is a 0% hit rate. And it's funny because they jumped on my throat. And what I was saying is, I personally kind of like Jordan Addison when I watch him. Yeah. Like, and, and if you, and this, this, what we talked about, this was the draft of the slot receiver. It was the draft of the tiny wide receiver. Like, if you were taking a wide receiver, you better be comfortable with taking a small one because that was basically all that was, that was available. Um, and, and so Jordan Addison, I think of any of those guys has the best shot at being a useful NFL player. I do think he does things well, but I was saying I cannot shake the fact that this list exists and the fact that if he is good, he would be the first guy in history, basically, with his specific measure measurables. Who is and that was a, that was too much for them. They were all yelling at me. They threw out some of my favorite things, which are basically like, well, if he was taller and heavier and ran faster, we wouldn't even be having this discussion now, would we? And I'd be like, yeah, <laughs> correct. You got me there. Uh, if he did not weigh 173 pounds, I wouldn't be worried that he weighs 173 pounds. Uh, they also, I, some of them hit me with, he's actually faster via GPS tracking. So I was like, oh, is that true? So I tried to look it up, and I, I, I found one place with GPS tracking that said he was only in the 50th percentile for speed. And they were like, well, that's not the GPS tracking we're talking about. And I was like, could you direct me to the one you're talking about? And they were like, well, it was on some guy's podcast. And I was like, that's great. We're having a really, you're hitting me with the hard data here. Um, I appreciate that. But yeah, it's it's not that I think Jordan Addison's going to be a totally useless player. I think he, he's a very good route runner. Um, but his size and everything else means he's probably a slot-only guy. Uh and that really limits him, and then the lack of top-end speed really limits him there. I, I think, at best, that guy is maybe replacing what Adam Thielen gave you, and I don't mean, like, the Adam Thielen of yore. I mean the Adam Thielen last year, who caught, like, seven, had, like, 700 yards at, like, 10 yards per. I think he's a reliable, he's going to be an okay underneath option. I think he's going to be... But, I mean, that he. this is a pick that, and the funny thing about the Vikings is, I can't really slam them for this pick even as i was saying addison on that list scares me because they have they've put themselves in this box where they kind of had to do that because they have refused they have taken the old bears route really they have refused to commit in either direction they they did not have the balls to tear down they don't have the cap space at this point to go all in so they kind of just need to keep reloading instead of rebuilding and so at that point, and with the wide receiver run happening, and with Adam Thielen gone and the wide receiver free agent market being shit, as we as we said, like you kind of have to take a chance on Jordan Addison there. He is, I will agree, he was the best wide receiver left at 23, but that goes to show why being stuck in this kind of win-now mode that they're in and needing to, to just find a replacement for Thielen instead of needing to take a good player there that you feel better about really kind of fucks you. Cause like, yeah, that they wide receiver is a huge need for them. They needed to take a guy that was the best guy available with a lot of red flags. So, I mean, that's what they did. And that's that, that's the kind of shit that happens when you don't pick a lane, you are stuck 
talking yourselves into, well, maybe Jordan Addison can defy history and be more productive than any guy his size has basically ever been. Yeah, we we talked about the Vikings before last year, and uh, what we said was this team is either going to have the one last ride year. They're going to get everybody is going to have the last year they have in the tank, and they're going to win a bunch of games, and this is going to be it. And then next year they're going to fail, or last year was going to be where they all got old at the same time. The whole team fell apart because they are doing the Bears thing. They are going to let this team destroy itself. They're going to wait until it's completely done before they do anything about it. Last year, they had that last ride, and the statistics ended up showing that, yeah, it was a huge fluke. Uh, So they did it in the most incredibly 2001 Bears way they could. Uh, They went out there, they won a bunch of empty games, and then they got their butts kicked in the first playoff game they played. Uh, And... They didn't have the balls to tear it down this year. I'm not sure how they would have tore it down, and maybe that's kind of what they're saying here. Um, And in that way, I do understand getting another wide receiver because what the hell else was going to help you this year? You know, like what were they going to get that was going to save them from what's coming this year? Probably nothing. Um, But yeah, I mean, we've talked about Jordan Addison. He's a guy like Jaden Reed. He looks better than his metrics, way better than his metrics. You look at him on paper and you ask yourself why anybody would draft this kid. You watch him play and you say, God damn, he dominates people. But we've said this for the last couple weeks. uh, I have no read on wide receivers in college because there's a wide receiver on almost every college football team that looks that way, who you could say, man, he gets open. Uh, and he plays in a Power 5 conference. Like, you know, can't that guy play? Can't Charlie Jones play in the NFL? And uh, and I guess Jordan Addison is going in the first, Jaden Reed's going in the second, and Charlie Jones is going in the fourth. And I don't, I don't really see a big difference between any of these guys. Like you said, I think they're 700-yard guys at best. They're going to be slot-wide receivers. Um And they aren't going to save Minnesota from what's coming. Honestly, the more interesting picks that they made in this draft were the only other two picks that we would care about. Their third and fourth rounders were massive reaches. Huge fucking reaches. Their third round pick, Makai Blackman, was going in the back half of the fifth round in mock drafts. Their fourth round pick, Jay Ward, was six round to undrafted. Um, and these are guys who just don't stand out on tape. They, you know, they're guys who you would expect to go fifth round or later because not only do they not have the physical standing uh, to make you think they could be starters in the NFL. They also just didn't put it together in college. And I don't understand. I don't understand what they were doing with either of those picks. So it feels like a one-pick draft to me, frankly. It feels like it's Jordan Addison, and that's kind of all they got. And man, if all you well, got I mean, is when you only have slot. Well, I mean, when you only have one pick in the top 100, that's essentially what it is. You, you, it's a one pick draft. The rest is a lotto ticket. They traded sure. everything, everything else that they had in the middle for TJ Hawkinson, um, which, you know, not a bad pick. Uh, I, I get that. Um, one other thing I wanted to say about Addison, when you talk about, you know, when you watch him on film and stuff, I had a lot of people say to me, like, well, how many of those small guys that you're talking about? won a Belitnikov, like he was that productive, blah, blah, he's the exception. And I was like, you know, that's a good question, let me look. So I went through and I looked at, and someone else said, uh, basically every 
college wide receiver who has had a 1,500-yard receiving season at a Power 5 school has gone on to become a great NFL player. Uh, and I was like, okay, well, let me look. So I, I pulled up the list of every wide receiver who won a Bolitnikoff or had 1,500 yards receiving at a Power 5 school. So not not Anthony Miller or anybody like that. Power 5 school. Uh, and so the list since 2012 so is Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Corey Coleman, Brandon Cooks, Jalen Hyatt, Amari Cooper, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Tyler Lockett, Marquise Lee, Jerry Judy, Jordan Addison, Stedman Bailey, James Washington, D.D. Westbrook, Terrence Williams. Now that list, the order in which I read them, because you might have been like, wow, at the start you're probably like, wow, that's some really good wide receivers. This is a good list. And then towards the end you were like, oh yeah, I sort of remember that guy. He didn't do anything in the NFL. <clears throat> and you might have noticed that Jordan Addison is in with those guys. I sorted that list by the relative athletic score of those Bolitnikoff winners. So, newsflash, if you win a Bolitnikoff in college and you have 1,500 yards receiving in college and you are a motherfucking freak athlete who runs super fast, you end up becoming a pretty good NFL wide receiver unless you're Corey Coleman and you get drafted by the Cleveland Browns, in which case, sorry, Corey, them's the breaks. But every other dude in that list, in the top half of that list, who was who had a relative athletic score, basically of seven or higher, became a very good NFL wide receiver, other than Corey Coleman, because he got drafted by the Browns. Um, But in the bottom of that list, you get down to Marquise Lee, was never anything. Jerry Judy is a good wide receiver, but I think we all, most people would agree, he's kind of been disappointing as a first-round pick and is, is, you know, very kind of an inconsistent guy, has never quite been what you think he should be uh Stedman Bailey was not really an NFL wide receiver James Washington did nothing in the NFL D.D. Westbrook did nothing in the NFL Terrence Williams did nothing in the NFL all of those guys are who Jordan Addison is the peer of in terms of relative athletic sports so these are all guys who looked good on film in college who got separation and ran great routes in college and what that tells you is they're there really is a limit to how much of an advantage being a great route runner is when it comes to the NFL, translating that from college. You, you really need to have the athletic ability to win somehow. We talked about this with Jackson Smith and the Jigba. He doesn't have that great straight-line speed. Him and Addison have that in common, but I expected Addison to sort of test a lot closer to JSN than he did. JSN crushed all of the agility stuff, crushed all of that stuff, and that to me is is how you translate your great route running and everything at the NFL. You have the agility to make those sudden cuts, make those sudden moves. If Jordan Addison doesn't have that and doesn't have top-end speed and, and doesn't have size, can't bully for the ball, I mean, that's just... It, it. It is a red flag. And again, I don't think... I don't think this guy is going to be useless. I don't think we're going to remember him quite like Stedman Bailey, where we don't remember him at all half the time. I do think he's a guy who's going to play in the league for a decent amount of time, but I feel like he's going to max out as like a 700, 800 yard a year slot guy, if that. And it's, it again, it just, it, it's like, that is useful and the Vikings need that right now in their offense. But that's also a guy that you sometimes just find by chance in round four. So yeah. it's, 
that's a lot to pay for a guy that I think has a very limited ceiling because of his size and speed. So that's all there is to it. It's not that I, and again, I'm not even saying it was a bad pick by the Vikings there because I understand the situation. they've. <clears throat> God damn, these allergies are killing me, folks. Sorry. Uh, the situation that they put themselves in, they they needed to replace Adam Thielen. They needed to replace him immediately. And at pick 23 with the wide receiver run basically having already happened right in front of them, that was who was there. But it, it just speaks to how how putting yourself in that situation, and we saw this with the Bears for so many years, putting yourself in that situation repeats itself and puts you in that situation consistently because you are always making n- – not necessarily bad picks, but you're making picks for short-term gain with limited ceilings, and you just keep getting yourself stuck in that 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 purgatory where you can never really commit to one direction or the other. Yeah, I mean, I think that was just about as succinct as you can get. The the Vikings are our brothers in pain most often, um, oh, yeah. and and they are they are stuck in NFL purgatory right now. And, and when I say that they are about to have a very bad season, I don't mean that they're going to contend for the number one pick. I mean they're about to have one of those bad Bears seasons where they go like 6-11 and 11 or 7-10, and 10, and they end up with that annoying 13th or 14th pick, and then they get the fourth best defensive end or something. That's where the Vikings are at, uh, and I, I'm sorry, guys. Uh, like you yeah. said, there's there's no easy way out because the way the draft plays out, you you just keep doing it over and over again. Yeah, and then, and the and the one way that teams have found to get out is to to trade up, you know, give up a whole bunch and trade up and take a swing on a quarterback. But as we've seen, you know, if you miss on that guy, you're really you're double fucked because you gave up all those picks just to get him. Um, and even if you hit. Hit on that guy, you you don't have picks left to build around him, so you can still end up stuck in purgatory for a little bit, even if he is a good dude, because you've hollowed out your roster to get him, as the Bears kind of did with Fields. So it's 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 tough. They are in a tough spot, no doubt. And I, I we actually sympathize because that is for the majority of our lives the position that the Bears have routinely found themselves in because they refuse to commit. And if there's one thing you can say about Ryan Poles, the motherfucker committed. God, did he commit. So, yeah. So, I mean, I think that's a good place to to wrap it up. I, we, the, that was that was the draft, folks. That was all of our draft coverage, I think. You uh, you started with us all the way back at the quarterbacks, and, and hopefully you've enjoyed us covering the draft, and we'll get together and figure out what the hell else there is to talk about in this now dead part of the offseason. But, yeah, um, that's, that's right. what I got. That's right. Well, Kyle, signing out. Uh, tell me, did the NHL rig the draft for the Blackhawks? One hundred percent. Thank yes. you. Yes, absolutely. Without question. And we want to thank the NHL for that. Yeah. Right? No, I mean, again, if you are not a Blackhawks or Bears fan, you're listening to this, and you're expecting us to be in denial about that, we're not. And the simple fact of the matter is, we don't give a shit. So that's right. God damn it, they did the right thing. Sucks you need to suck. To give Connor Bedard to the Blackhawks. You did a great job, NHL. Yeah. Sucks to suck, losers. That's right. Maybe next time, try rooting for a team in a major media market instead yeah. of being from a small podunk mm-hmm. town. Yeah, like Los Angeles. Yeah, exactly. Well, nice. I mean, hockey hockey doesn't belong in Los Angeles. That's part of the problem. It does, so. though. All right. Well, good night, folks. All right. See ya.